So if you guys have been watching the news uh, lately, you know that uh, Fidel Castro just passed away. And for a lot of people in the room, Fidel Castro, when I mention the name Fidel Castro, you have horror stories that flash across your eyes. You know, you think enemy of America, you know, you think 13 days, you think, uh, you know, Cuba trade embargoes, you think nuclear missiles, you think end of the world, you think an oppressor of the Cuban people. And there are some people in the room that Fidel Castro is a Wikipedia article and he is a name on a textbook and that's about it. So depending on what, what decade you were born, you either have a visceral experience with Fidel Castro or he is just yet another name in history. Um, but Cuba is going through nine days of mourning for Fidel Castro. Because regardless of what our thoughts on him, people in Cuba have a completely different view of him. You know, to people in Cuba, to some people in Cuba, he was this political savior that swept in and fixed everything. He was the defender of the Cuban people from the rest of the world. You know, to some people, he is this patron saint of political revolution. Not everybody in Cuba. There's a lot of people that think the exact opposite of uh, Fidel Castro. But regardless of what your opinion are or what your opinion is about him, these political revolutionaries are really polarizing. You either like love them, love them, or want to hit them with your car. You think that they're the worst thing that's ever happened uh, to the world. Think about like Che Guevara. You know, we have a political revolutionary that depending on what side of the, of the issue you're on, he is either a terrorist or a political savior. Think of Nelson Mandela, either a political terrorist or a savior. I had a friend, he is uh, probably about two years younger than me, and he was uh, born in a country called Swaziland. And if you know anything about South Africa and the, the apartheid that was in rule in South Africa forever, uh, Swaziland is a country that is inside South Africa, kind of like Vatican City is inside of Rome. And so I was talking to him one day about race relations because he, you know, he learned that I'm from the South. And so the first thing he wanted to talk about is slavery. I'm like, thank you. We have more things to contribute to the world than that. Um, so we're talking about that on our couch in my dorm room at Bible school. And he said something. Um, he said, uh, well, the people in my country, the black people in my country just need to realize that the white people are smarter and more educated. So they need to realize that we need to be in charge of their decisions because they're not, God didn't give them enough intelligence to make their own decisions. He's a year younger than me. And I'm sitting around, I cannot believe that you are saying that. Like, like, and I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, he was like, well, because their brains are not more developed. We as the white race are more advanced than theirs. And I'm like, you can't say stuff like that, man. Like, don't think that, but B, don't say that. And he, out of his mouth, he was like, Nelson Mandela was one of the worst human beings that's ever been alive. And so depending on whatever side of an issue you're, you're on, these political social revolutionaries will incite love and affection or intense hatred. Not necessarily right or wrong, but they're incredibly polarizing. Think about Chairman Mao. Think about Kim Jong-il. You know, think about all of these crazy people in our minds but to the subjects that, that actually love them. Now, there's a bunch of people that are brainwashed into loving them, but some people adore them. I went to uh, the Monterey train depot one time with one of my friends, his name's Rex, he's from England. And we went up there and, you know, looking around the Monterey train depot. And inside the train depot, there is like a Civil War section, and then there's like an American Revolutionary War section. 
So we're walking through and we're looking at stuff and uh, we get into the Revolutionary War. And of course, you know, we have the Patriots that are trampling over the Redcoats and the British are fleeing in terror over the might of America and all this stuff. You know, it's very patriotic. And he looks at me and says, is this what you think of us? Oh, no. I completely forgot that, like, being in a Revolutionary War museum with someone from England, I'm like, well, this is a different experience. Um, and so imagine what the average English person thought about George Washington. You know, was he a political revolutionary or was he a terrorist? And depending on what side of the issue you're on, you have, uh, you have different thoughts. See, like, even in Cookville, even in our own day, we are surrounded by people that are revolutionary. And a revolutionary is someone that gives up a certain lifestyle in order to fight for a cause. You find something that is worth believing in, and it makes you willing. You believe in that cause so strongly, you're willing to give up comforts. You're willing to give up a lack of suffering in order to complete your cause. But when you step out and you start being a little revolutionary, when you start going against the flow, you are met with resistance. When you start saying weird things around the dinner table, you are met with resistance. And when you get met with resistance, you have to ask yourself, is my thought, like is my viewpoint, is my worldview worth the flack that I'm catching over this? Did anyone get blowback this weekend based on your political choices at the dinner table? Did anyone actually make it through a Thanksgiving without talking about th political stuff? I thought I was gonna make it. I thought I was so close and it was like, no, you brought it up. Did you get blowback based on your relationship status? <laughs> it's like, you know, when are you going to find somebody? Don't ask me that, by the way. Just in case you need to know. Did you get blowback based on the fact that you went up on your fourth plate of food? <laughs> did your mom like, honey, maybe three's enough. No, I'm a revolutionary. I believe in this cause of turkey and dressing. And then, like, you sit there afterwards, and you're like, I hate myself. <laughs> like, I, just, <laughs> I don't like life anymore. See, like, we have, anytime that we have non-normative thoughts, anytime that you think something that's different than the culture around you, culture is self-correcting. So if you bring up something that is different than what everybody around you thinks, culture will try to, like a really sweet grandmother, try to sway you back into going with the status quo. Well, if you get outside of the status quo a little bit, you get met with resistance and you start, people start treating you like you're strange or you're quirky or you're a little weird. You know, like, oh, that's Justin. He's just a weirdo. Well, what happens if you push that far enough? What happens if you push it far enough to actually be revolutionary about your thoughts? What happens if you're the only Democrat in a family of Republicans? What happens if you're the only Republican in a family of Democrats? What if you're the only believer? in a family of unbelievers? What if you're the only non-believer in a family of believers? When you switch that compass needle all the way around, you go from being strange or kind of quirky to now your thoughts are dangerous. You see how subtle that is? It's like, oh, you're weird. You, Whoa. We put up with you earlier, but instead of getting met with resistance, you are now being met with hostility. You ever gone home and be, been met with hostility? instead of just resistance? Have you ever been asked to not come back to a family meal? People do. Have you ever asked somebody to not come back to a family meal? You see, like political uh, and social revolutionaries, 
they run into this. And when you're out in the world, not just in your family, not just like in a church, but when you're out in the world and your thoughts then become dangerous to the people around you, usually you wind up in jail. And these political and social revolutionaries, it's funny how much time they spend in jail. You know, think about Rosa Parks saying, no, landed her in jail. You know, think about the American revolutionaries not paying a paper tax. You know, the government levied a tax against them and they said, no. So they rounded them up and started trying to throw them in jail. Something in our minds that seems like such an easy thing. Rosa Parks saying, no, that's not that big of a deal. George Washington saying, ah, I'm not going to pay that stamp tax. Seems like the easiest thing in the world, but it, it is such a scary thought to the people that are in charge. It is such a hostile thought to the people that are in power that the easiest thing to do is to go, well, we're going to throw you in jail. You scare me. You're a disturber of the peace. You're inciting violence. And it's like, I'm just saying no to you. I'm not giving up my seat on the bus. You're a dangerous person. We're going to throw you in jail. And depending on the position that you're on, they can either be a political revolutionary or they can be a terrorist. Now, I'm not saying that if you get thrown in jail for inciting a protest that you're a good person. Like, that's not what I'm saying. For every one Rosa Parks, there's an Adolf Hitler. You know, an Adolf Hitler is just as much of a political revolutionary as Gandhi was. And we're not a big fan of Adolf Hitler. Just, I am not a big fan of Adolf Hitler, just for the record. But it's strange that the people that have shaped our culture the most are the ones that have spent a lot of time on a prison cot. And that lets you know, like, if you come from a rocky background and you have spent a lot of time in jail, do not count yourself short. Because some amazing people have gone through prison and have come out to change the world. So don't think that you have a black mark against you. Um, God can use all of us in every circumstance. But, but prison time, jail time, is like this crucible. It either brings you back into normative thoughts. And if you're in jail for stealing cars, it is a good thing that prison will pull you back into, I don't need to steal cars. My political revolution of stealing cars is not worth me being locked up. Or it will harden you to have your thoughts even stronger than before. Have you ever, do you know anybody in your family? Like I have people in my family that went into jail, a rough person and came out and it's like, you are scary now. What happened to them in prison hardened them to think their thoughts even more. When Nelson Mandela went into prison, he came out a lion against apartheid. He was strong before, but when he came out, he was a spokesman for everything that was wrong about apartheid. Um, when you are confronted with prison time, when you're confronted in a cell, when you're, when you're left abandoned and alone, you really start thinking, is my life decisions worth the consequences that I'm having to pay for it? Like when you're sitting in your living room and your lights get shut off, you have to start thinking, hmm, do I need HBO or do I need light? HBO is not worth me having lights. I'm going to go turn the lights on. Forget HBO, forget Netflix, forget YouTube. I'm going to have lights today. Um, but I want to tell you a guy about a guy named John. Now, John got arrested. He was a political revolutionary. He never incited violence. He was not, never told his followers, like, hey, you know what you guys need to do? Go storm the castle. Like, bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Princess Bride? Is it Princess Bride? Yeah, it's Princess Bride. <laughs> I'm right. Never doubt myself. Um, and this is not like a prison with, like, three hots in a cot and, like, TV on Sundays kind of thing. He is stuck in a literal hole in the ground. No running water. Well, I mean, there's stuff running, but 
It's not the kind of stuff that you drink. He's been left and abandoned all alone. And political revolutionaries at the time, if you incited to overthrow the king, you were sentenced to die. Now, if your guard is in charge of death row and you were stuck in a hole in the ground, basically in the middle of a sewer, your guards are not overly concerned about your nutritional well-being. They're not concerned about how healthy you are. So John had to depend on his family and his followers to come bring him food that he could eat, to bring him water that he could drink. And so he's sitting there all alone. See, like, even though that John was like a political revolutionary, he never wanted to be in the spotlight. He never told the people around him, like, hey, I have got all the answers. He never wrote a three-part book series. He never made a movie deal. He said he was always pointing the way to somebody else. He was the hype man. He was the opening act that was sent to prepare the audience to be able to hear the main act. And so when the main act showed up, all of John's followers left him to go support the main act. And that's what he wanted to happen or wanted to have happen. He told his followers, stop listening to me and go listen to him. Well, they all listened to him. And then he was left all alone. And I'm telling you guys, it is hard to be abandoned in a palace. It is really hard to be left alone in the middle of a sewer. And so John is sitting there, and he was so sure about his worldview. Have you ever been sure about something, and then you go through a rough patch, and you start doubting everything? John's doing that. So we find John, like the scene opens up, and he is sitting there, and he is starting to backtrack and go, did I get taken advantage of? Because this doesn't feel really amazing. I, I don't know if this is worth going through all this stuff. Like the, the passion or the, the vision that I believed in, I don't know that it's worth being waist deep in stuff that I don't want to be waist deep in. And so one of, his, uh, one of his followers stopped by one day, gave him a loaf of bread, gave him some water. It was like, and John like yelled up at his follower and said, hey, um, will you go by Jesus and will you go ask him if he's really the real deal? Will you go ask him if he is actually the Savior? Because I don't feel very saved right now. And the thing that like rubbed salt in the wound, one of, one of Jesus' talking points, one of his platform objectives was to set free the prisoners. You know, we read that in Isaiah. He stood up in front of all of Israel and said, Spirit of the Lord is on me, da 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 to set free the captives. All right, sounds like a good idea. John, his hype man, his opening act, is stuck in a prison, not being set free. And so John says, hey, I don't feel very saved. Will you go ask Jesus if he knows what he's talking about? Because I don't feel like he knows what he's talking about. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been stuck either alone or something happened to your life and you're like, this doesn't feel like what the preacher was telling me about. I don't feel very saved right now. And you start asking the ceiling, like, are you, are you there? Have I been taken advantage of? Am I talking to imaginary friends and called it faith? Like, have, have I been taken advantage of? If you've never had that thought, one day something is going to happen to you in your life and you're going to start doubting. We all go through it. You are not strange. You are not weird. We have been talking about like when people come into the church and get saved, we get them all excited and we go, all right, go have fun in the world. And when you get out into your world, it's like, 
oh, gosh, this is still a scary place. And we at the church, for some weird reason, we can't act like anything's falling apart. We have to act like everything's amazing. One of the things that uh, Bill Johnson says, that like once you hit a certain level of senior leadership, it's like they show up at your house and they remove your toilet. That's, oh, there's no toilet in my house. Like, I'm perfect. There's nothing ever wrong with me at all. And that's just simply not true. All of us have times that we are crippled with doubt. We all have times. This is Jesus's front man. And he's saying, I don't know if you're the real deal, Jesus. So this follower shows up to Jesus. He's talking to a, a group of people. Now, you've got to remember, like Israel in those days, there was a long line of false messiahs of false prophets. What happens if Jesus was just yet another charlatan in a long line of fakes? And so this follower pushes through the crowd and stops Jesus and says, hey, John, I just visited John the Baptist in prison. You know, he's about to get his head chopped off. He wants me to ask you if you're the real deal or if we're supposed to be looking for somebody else. Jesus stops what he's doing and looks at, uh, looks at this follower in Matthew 11 um, starting in verse 5, Je Jesus looks at this follower and says, go back to John, tell him what you've seen and what you've heard, not what you've read out of a book, not what you've watched off of a YouTube video, tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. We need firsthand information of what Jesus did in this person's life. Tell him that in verse 5, that the blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added in verse 6, blessed are those that are not offended because of me. There are times that Jesus does things to your neighbor, for your neighbor, and it's like, you know that I live next door, right? Like, we're, I was talking about this with one of my friends over, uh, over the last weekend, his wife lost uh, a family member to a car wreck. And we were talking about when we pray about going on a trip, we'll always pray that, you know, God keep us safe, you know, watch over our car, make sure that other drivers are seeing us, that we arrive safely at our destination. And his wife was saying, like, it, it hurts to pray that prayer anymore because it feels like when I say, God, keep us safe, that God chose to not keep, I think it was her brother, her brother safe. And it's like, oh, my goodness, something that I just say naturally. Oh, God, just keep us safe. I didn't understand that it causes this doubt to rise up in her heart of, like, why didn't he keep my brother safe? Or when, you know, a tornado goes through a town and, you know, it's like Twister, like this house is gone, this house is gone, this house is standing, this house is gone. It seems like people get saved physically, financially, emotionally. You have someone come up here and it's like, man, I don't know. I got saved, and like I never wanted to take drugs again. I never wanted to drink again. That feeling just left me. And then the person right next to him goes their entire life crippled by addiction. It's like, God, did you pick this person and not this person? It is easy in our lives. This is really uplifting sermon, isn't it? Um, it is easy in our lives to look at God blessing somebody else and go, does he remember that I'm down here? Did I do something to make him mad? So what Jesus said, go back, tell him exactly what you've seen and what you've heard, not what you read off Facebook. By the way, my professional opinion, if you fail to repost something, Jesus is not going to throw you out of heaven. That's our professional opinion, just in case you need to know. 
Um, like, Jesus is not going through looking and saying, like, well, I can bless you, I can't bless you, I'm going to be nice to you, I'm not going to be nice to you. Jesus said, hey, get your eyes off of what you think I'm not doing and start looking at what I am doing. And that is the hardest thing. It's hard to hear when you're in the middle of the jail cell and Jesus goes, hey, this other person is out of debt. Well, great for them. It's fantastic. We are crippled a lot of the times, not necessarily because of the circumstances that we walk through. We are crippled with doubt, depression, hopelessness, darkness, because we get our eyes off of what God is doing and start looking around at all the things that are broken in our life. Remember Peter, when he's walking on the water, he's looking at Jesus, he's looking at Jesus. Oh my goodness, there is a wave, I see a shark. And he starts sinking beneath the waves. When we get our eyes off of what the kingdom of God is doing, we start fearing, we start doubting. Because when we get in our own prisons, because there will be a time that the enemy will throw you into a prison of hopelessness, there will be a time that because you are a revolutionary, See, God has given you the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within grasp. It is here. God has turned you into a revolutionary of love. We don't incite violence. We're not here to overthrow the kingdom. But we revolutionize the world when we love the unlovable, when we forgive that person one more time. Have you ever forgiven somebody and it felt like it blew up in your face? Have you ever done the right thing and you got drugged through the mud for doing the right thing? And you go, God, why did you do that to me? God didn't do that to you. We are in a foreign kingdom. We are ambassadors of another world. We are in enemy territory. And when you are a revolutionary and you go countercultural when you love the unlovable, when you hang out with people that other people wouldn't hang out with, when you show the love of Christ, the people that are in charge, demonic forces look at you and instantly go, you're dangerous. Not only are you weird, not only are you strange, you are now dangerous, and I'm going to throw you in jail. John didn't do anything wrong. He did everything right. God was so happy with him. We actually see after verse uh, 6 in Matthew 11, Jesus goes on and on and on, verse after verse, of telling the people, the crowd, how amazing John is. He said, not one of you has ever been born that was greater than this man. Did you come out into the desert to see a reed shaken by the wind? No, you came out to see a prophet. There has never been a greater prophet. Moses had nothing on John. Elijah had nothing on John. This cousin of mine, this John guy, you guys would love to be in his shoes. He is amazing. Do you see the love that Jesus had for his cousin John? Even though that he didn't kick a, a jail cell down and rescue him, Jesus didn't forget about John. Jesus never talks about anybody the way that he did John the Baptist. So this guy wasn't forgotten about. And when you're sitting in your prison cell being punished for doing the right thing, Jesus hasn't forgotten about you. Even though that it doesn't feel like he's doing a lot of stuff, even though you, you look around and you go, uh, God, do you remember me? He does remember you. The love that he has towards you is fierce. It's amazing. It is powerful. Don't, don't think that because you can't see him moving, that he has left you or abandoned you. Um, Jesus starts talking about all the different things that, that he is doing in John's life, right? Hey, you've wanted a Messiah. You've wanted a Savior. I've come to set the nation free. Not only have I come to set the nation free, I've come to set the world free. John, you are one part 
of an advancing kingdom. He goes on to talk about at the end of, uh, of Matthew uh, 11. He says, since the days that John the Baptist started talking, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. It's winning. Love is winning in the world. Even though that when you turn on the radio, even though that you turn on the news and you start thinking, oh my goodness, this is the worst the world has ever been. We are going to blow up in 15 minutes. I promise you it's not true. The enemy and the world media will try to get your eyes off of what God is doing in the world and start pulling it down into the junk of what you think God's not doing. So if you are walking, and, and just to be honest, like this is a rough season for a lot of people. Like my grandmother hated Christmas. My grandmother's mom, so my great-grandmother, passed away on Christmas Day. And she hated the cold. When it would like start getting a little bit folly, I love fall. It's my favorite time of year. I would get so excited, my grandmother would get depressed. And watch that little sweet old lady that was just a bundle of joy just wither. Not because of the winter, it's because she lost her mom. And so the holidays are a rough time for a lot of people. And so if you're sitting there and you feel like you were stuck in a prison of depression, if you're stuck in a prison of hopelessness, I want to remind you, shut your news off. You watching CNN 24 hours a day is doing you no good. Maybe take a 30-day break from Facebook. Hide people on Facebook. If you are not in an emotionally healthy place, you need to start cutting out all of the people that are saying, hey, John, you're in a jail cell. Hey, you're in a sewer. Hey, it's bad. That water level is starting to rise on you. Get your eyes off of that stuff. And I'm not saying that the world, you know, doesn't, is lacking its problems. There are more than enough problems out in the world. But we don't feed our hearts off of what the enemy's doing. Who cares what the enemy's doing? I'm not a, I'm not a member of his kingdom. I'm a member of another kingdom. And so I get my news from headquarters. And I start filling my eyes, filling my thoughts. I start feeding on what God is doing. You, start, you have to start gathering together hope around you like a nest. Like, imagine that. Like, uh, have you ever, like, Netflix binged? And you've got your ice cream within an arm's distance. And you've got your, your Snuggie. And you've got your remote. And you, like, have you ever nested over the holidays? Like, I'm going to be on the couch and I'm not moving. Everything that I need is within arm's grasp. I have got this. Bring on the Gilmore Girls. I don't know. I've, I've, got, I've got different Netflix binge, binges. But you have to start surrounding yourself with everything you need. Like, if you're going through a rough spell, I've got my hope. I've got my friends. I'm, life still stinks. It's still awful. I'm still waist deep in it but I'm surrounding myself with things that are giving me hope because you didn't get into your prison cell overnight and probably you are not going to get out of it overnight. I'll come up and I'll pray with you and we'll laugh and we'll cry and we'll slap oil on your head and we'll have a great time and then you go back home and it's like, well, it still stinks. Like, yep, it still stinks. You didn't get in there overnight and you're not going to get out of it overnight, but when you start gathering hope around you, one day you're going to come out of this. And just like Nelson Mandela going into prison, when you come out of whatever junk the enemy has put you in, there's going to be something different in your heart that's like, I'm not backing down on this area. You might get me on another area, but this right here, you put me in jail for the wrong reason. I'm not giving up hope in this area ever again. Like one of the things that the enemy used to mess with me on is that none of my friends really liked me which seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world, but have you ever heard a lie in your head and it feels like the most true thing in the world? 
Have you ever looked in the mirror and felt like I am the most gargantuan human being in the world? No one will ever love me because like this. Have you ever heard that lie and you told somebody else that and they go, you're a crazy person. But when the lie is in your head, it feels like the most true thing in the world. So the enemy would tell me that none of my friends liked me, that my friends just said what they had to say in order to make me feel like, like they had to put up with me. And eventually, I walked through a prison cell that I had to ask myself, what do I actually believe? And when I came out of that prison cell, that is not something that I deal with ever again. Like, the enemy shows up and starts whispering that to me. Hey, your friends don't really like you. It's like, shut your mouth, man. I'm not listening to you anymore. You can't put me back into that hole ever again. I'm, I'm too big to fit in that junk that you put me in. God's grown me on the inside so much. So if you're sitting in the middle of it or you're about to go through it, because one of the funny things about mountaintop experiences, when everything is going good in your life, you can't remember what it feels like to be depressed. It's like, why are you sad? There's so much great things in life. But the junky thing is when you're in a valley, the idea of you experiencing a mountaintop experience feels like the most distant fantasy in the world. When you're going through depression, the concept of you being joyful is this distant thought, but you're going to come through it. So you might not need what I'm saying today, but you might need it tomorrow. So write it down. Start surrounding yourself with things that give you hope. If people are trying to drag you down, ignore their texts. They might have an aneurysm, but they can get over it. Your emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being is more important than you acting nice on Facebook. Your emotional, uh, physical, spiritual well-being is more important than you answering every text. You can ignore the people that are trying to drag you down. You can turn off CNN. You can turn off news. You can turn that stuff off and start surrounding your people or to sur start surrounding yourself with people that give you hope. Remember that you do not have to go through your dungeon alone. Even when John was abandoned, he, he still had people that were showing up feeding him. The reason why he was alive is because people were his lifeline. You do not have to walk through your depression alone. Find someone that's healthy. Find someone emotionally healthy and turn to him and be like, I'm circling the drain. I feel like there are wolves that are circling around me. I don't know how to get out of this. Let your friends and family members know that you're not doing well. And I promise you, you're going to get out of your junk. And when you come out of it, you're going to be a different person. And you're never going to be able to get shoved back into that dark hole again. Go ahead and stand up. We're going to close. And we're going to close by praying uh, for someone. There is a promise that God said to the nation of Israel that he will take the lonely and place them in family. And the nation of Israel didn't see the fulfillment of that promise until we have the church. This is the fulfillment of that promise, that God has taken lonely people and has placed them in families because when one of us is going through a junky season, we have each other to lean on. When one of us is going through an amazing mountaintop experience, we bring other people with us. So go ahead and put a hand on the shoulder of someone next to you. You have no idea of the stuff that they're going through in their life. They might have had the worst day ever. They might have had the best day ever. But we're going to pray for him. Imagine that you are this knight in shining armor, and you have got this shield, and you are standing in between that person and the wolves of depression, the wolves of hopelessness, and we have the ability to knock that junk off. 
So, Father, we lift up the people that are standing next to us. God, we ask that you would release hope and life and light into their lives, God. God, we stand as defenders. God, we stand as big brothers, as big sisters, and no bully is going to pick on my family while I'm in charge. God, I pray that you would break depression, Father, that you would break hopelessness, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to be able to see ourselves and each other the way that you see us, God. Father, when we are tempted to give up, to when we're tempted to feel like you have given up on us, Father, I pray that you would bring truth into our lives, that we would have friendships, that we would have brothers, sisters, family members, to be able to speak the truth into our lives, God, that the words of the enemy would start sounding fake and hollow. God, we would stop listening to that junk, God, and listen to what you say over us. Father, I pray that we would have an experience with your love, God, God, that something would change, God, that, that I might not come out of my prison cell overnight, but, Father, I'm going to start walking that direction, God. And I don't care how far we have to travel, one day we're eventually going to get out of there. Father, one day we're going to come out of the tunnel and we're going to be able to experience the light again. Father, let us not give up hope. Father, thank you for an amazing family that we've got here. Thank you for brothers. Thank you for sisters that we don't have to walk through our junk alone, God, that we have a network, we have a support structure. There are people in this room that love us regardless of what the enemy says. There are people here that are genuine and true regardless of the enemy saying that the church is just full of hypocrites and doubters. Father, thank you for our family that we get to experience. In Jesus' name, amen.